Well, let's turn together now to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and let's talk about all things for His glory. Here you are in a, an 11 o'clock worship service, and this says something about what you understand your life to be. As we think about what your life is aimed for, clearly you see already that your life needs to involve worship. But I want to remind you that coming to church, even coming to church faithfully, is not really everything that God wants from you. Do you know it's possible to be a church attender, even a church member, and still be an awful person? Did you know that? And I'm not thinking about anybody here. We have a wonderful church family, but just, just making the point, it's possible. There have been people through the ages who've been faithful church attenders, even members, and be awful. And what I am thinking about is a friend of mine who pastored a church here in Virginia a number of years ago, and it didn't end well. He said the church misrepresented themselves first when he was considering moving to the area to pastor there. And the church was very dysfunctional. He found out after he moved here. And one of the things that made them dysfunctional is they really did oppose the faithful teaching of God's word. Though a gracious man faithfully teaching the scriptures, the church did not want that. In fact, he knew it was terrible when he reached out to one of the church visitors and wanted to see if there's anything he could do and would the person be coming back. And this lady said to him, I, I won't be coming back. He said, well, well, why not, if I might ask? And, and the lady explained, you have a member of your church that meets guests on their way in and says, don't come to our church. Our pastor is a cult leader. So here's a member of the church dissuading people from coming and so, so offended by the teaching of Scripture that she thought her pastor was a color. I'm happy to tell you the rest of the story. That brother's pastoring elsewhere in another state, happy, a joyful, healthy church, and I'm so grateful for that. But just making the point that coming to church is wonderful. In fact, we're not very faithful at all to Christ if we can't even do this basic thing of if we're able-bodied, coming to church regularly, worshiping and serving in the body of Christ. But just reminding us that, that this is not everything God has for you. We are aimed at pleasing the Lord in every area of our lives. And the passage we have before us here in 1 Corinthians 10 is going to remind us of three aims that should be ours in life. And so let's read the text here. 1 Corinthians 10, picking up in verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Let's talk about three aims that should be ours today from our text. First of all, we are to have this aim, to live in faithfulness to Jesus alone. We should aim to follow Jesus faithfully alone. Last week, we saw lessons as Paul brought us through the early verses of chapter 10. We had lessons from Israel's past and how 
time after time, they would leave their devotion to the God of the Bible and they would follow after idols. Remember, Paul gave us a couple of examples. One, one thing he referenced was the, the fall of his people into immorality and the worship of Baal on one occasion. Can you imagine? The people that God redeemed out of Egypt, they would turn so quickly into immorality and the worship of another God. We saw last time that occasion where the people not only forsook God for other deities, but they had Aaron take their gold and make a golden calf. And the people that God had redeemed worshiped an image instead of God. And so Paul gave us those examples last time from the past, but now he directs to these Corinthians in the new covenant. Therefore, my beloved flee from idolatry. And so idolatry was an issue that the Corinthian Christians of the first century, they were having to face. And it takes us back to that issue that we saw first in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Remember that issue of eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols. And Paul then had told them in the past and reiterates here that it's okay to eat that meat because it's just meat. You're free to eat it. But now Paul warns that you can, though, take that too far. If you were to eat that meat in the pagan temple itself, you'd be participating in that worship and you can't do that. And so verse 14, he tells the Corinthians, <clears throat> flee from idolatry. Let's pause here on that word flee again. We saw this back in chapter six, that here's a reminder when we consider our temptations, it's very good for us to flee. Oftentimes the strategy is not to stand there and try to be firm in the face of it, when possible, when faced with a determined temptation, an area of persistent failure in our lives, God would say to you, don't stand there, flee from it. It's true of idolatry, as we'll see in this text, but also back in chapter 6, verse 18, where he says, flee sexual immorality. We talked about it back in chapter 6. It's, it's not a time in great temptation to try to prove how strong you are. Certainly as believers, we're not supposed to take this approach. Well, let me see how close to the line of sin I can get and not fall into sin. That's not what your Savior tells you. Get out of there. We saw last time that no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. But he also, remember we saw last time that there is always a way of escape in our strong temptations. And one of the ways we take the way of escape is, look, I know this is a tough area in my life. I'm not going to put myself in that situation where I might fall. Let me flee even on the front end. So if you can control your circumstances, do so. Flee from immorality here. Flee from idolatry. So the issue here for the Corinthians, some in the church were correct. I can eat any meat, even if somebody sacrificed to an idol. I don't care about that. Paul says, you actually write about that unless... Eating that meat happens in the temple as a part of one of their pagan worship meals. So it's one thing to buy meat in the meat market. It's one thing to eat in an unbeliever's home. But it's another thing to participate in their worship, to identify with them. And Paul gives three reasons why that would be inappropriate. First of all, he says this in verses 16 and 17, that we're now in the body of Christ. We share in a different meal, the Lord's Supper. What we just celebrated, Paul references here. Look at verses 16 and 17 again. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? He's talking about the Lord's Supper. The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So when we drank that cup a moment ago, we were sharing in, we were identifying with the blood of Christ shed for us. When we ate that bread, we were sharing and we were identifying with the body of Christ. So 
every time we take the Lord's Supper, we're expressing that we are in relationship with Christ. Every time we take the Lord's Supper, we're also expressing that we belong to each other. Notice what Paul says here. We, we eat from that one bread. We are one body of his believers. Also interesting here with the wording, when we see here in our text in the English, participation in the blood of Christ, that word in the Greek language is the word koinonia. That word we typically think of as the word for fellowship. So we are deeply fellowshipping with Christ. Whenever we remember him at the Lord's table, we are deeply fellowshipping, participating with one another in this expression of our devotion. Therefore, if we are in this deep fellowship with Christ and his people, we can't be in a similar deep fellowship with a pagan people. So second thing he mentions is verse 18. He takes them to Jewish practice. So in Jewish ritual, those who ate the sacrifices in the old covenant sacrifices, they were participating in the altar. That's verse 18. Consider the people of Israel, Paul says, are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar. In other words, it means something when you're eating as a part of worship. But then we come to verses 19 through 22. And so he's making the point to share in a pagan, idolatrous, religious meal is the same as identifying with them. Like we do in the Lord's Supper, you should not do that with them. And then it's very strong. Notice the latter part of verse 20. I do not want you to be participants with demons. So notice what Paul's saying here. He still affirms that idols are nothing, but idol worship is demonic. So if you've ever seen an idol, maybe made of stone or maybe made of wood or some other thing, plaster, you, you know correctly that's nothing. That idol can't do anything. It can't save anyone. It can't help anyone. It's just an idol. But notice the scripture says, but if you worship that idol that is nothing, you are now in the influence of demons. You're now participating actually in worship of demons. The object's nothing, but it's very spiritual to participate in idol worship. So think about this. Here we are in worship. We've been singing. We've taken the Lord's Supper. Now we're hearing the word of God. All this is worship. And if we're worshiping correctly, we're doing what the scripture says. We should worship in spirit and in truth. And I bet your heart's been like mine today. I just want Christ. When sing to him, my heart's wide open to him. My mind's open to him. I want to be transformed by him. Enjoy him, right? Your heart's open. Imagine somebody going into pagan worship, worshiping any other false deity, and all other deities are false deities, whether idolatry or not. But that person goes into false worship with the same mindset. They want that God that doesn't exist. They open their hearts to that. They open their minds to that deity. So what are they doing? You say, well, that, that God doesn't exist. Correct. But demons exist. And they're opening their hearts wide and they will be influenced by the evil one. Some of our missionaries that serve in other cultures, they might be in a very idolatrous culture where they're sharing. And it's oftentimes in those places where there is overt idolatry, where you see more overt um, demon possession, more overt spiritual warfare. Now, Satan is here. Demons are here doing the work, but it's often more on display in some of these other places. So Paul just warns these Corinthians, you may know correctly that the idol's nothing, but to go take part in their worship, you are now under the influence of the demonic. Verse 21 again, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You can't partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Here's what I know. You're probably not going to a restaurant this afternoon that's also a pagan temple. So this, you're thinking, where's, my, where's the relevance for me here? Here's the relevance. Make sure there's nothing in your life that's incompatible with your devotion to Jesus. 
Make sure there's nothing that you're going to do the rest of this week that's incompatible with what we just did when we celebrated the bread and the cup remembering Jesus. There can't be any inconsistencies like that. We have just deeply fellowshiped with Christ around the table, with each other. We're part of one family. We have one God. We can't be a part of two communions. We can say it that way. Imagine the Corinthians. Lord's Supper, then they go be a part of a pagan worship feast. You can't do that. So are there any areas of your life that are inconsistent with your fellowship with Christ? Maybe ask this question. Where are your closest relationships in life? Where are your deepest loyalties in life? Here we're a part of this body. This is our communion. This is our fellowship. But the rest of the week, is it, is it very different than this? You and I just a moment ago shared in a common cup, remembering the blood of Jesus. But maybe last night you were drinking from another cup, partying with some other people, living a pagan lifestyle. Listen, same idea. There should not be that inconsistency between your devotion to Christ and anything else. Verse 22, shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Remember, Paul's been talking to those that he considers the strong on the issue of meat that had been sacrificed to idols. He says, you're correct. You're in the strong position if you know it's just meat, usually. But here he says, going into the temple, that's a problem. You're not stronger than God. I understand if you do this in the temple as a part of pagan worship, you are provoking God to jealousy. So let's pause on that word jealousy. How does that make you feel when you hear that your God is a jealous God? By the way, it's not the first time this has come up in the scriptures. Old Covenant also teaches us that our God is a jealous God. What, what does that make you think that God is jealous for you? Some people disrespect God over that. They've kind of misunderstood scriptures and they say, well, that makes God sound petty. And understandably, we typically, when we bump into the feeling of jealousy, oftentimes it is ungodly. But in God, it is absolutely appropriate. God is jealous for his people. God will not share his glory with any other deity because everything else is false. False worship is not neutral to God. It's robbing him of his glory that should be coming to him. And for those who call themselves God's people to worship something else, it is a betrayal of God. It's a rejection of him. And his right response to that is to say that is sinful, that that is a betrayal, that there's a right kind of jealousy there. Here as we consider this, that God would consider participating in other worship as something that he would be jealous over, it reminds us that we do not at all believe in universalism. You know that word universalism, the idea that all paths lead to God ultimately. Whatever religion, as long as a person is sincere, that's what we hear in the culture, who are you to say? And typically people feel quite comfortable, all, all paths, all religions really worshiping the same God. You've heard that. Maybe you're here and you have believed that, but I want to show you from scripture that is entirely not True. God says, I'm jealous. I'm offended if you would worship any other false deity rather than worshiping me. A number of years ago, we were living in India and we had to take one of our children back to a pediatrician there for a follow-up immunization. And I got to know this Indian doctor. And of course, I'm thinking I'd like to turn the conversation to spiritual things. And that's not hard to do in India, by the way, very spiritually minded people. And so in this conversation, it went fine. Then we had a follow-up conversation and he had a document ready for me to persuade me more of a Hindu mentality. He gave me this document and then there was a post-it note on it where he wrote, all religions are true. 
And of course, that statement doesn't even make sense. How could they all be true? They're making such contradictory claims. But nevertheless, that was his mindset. All religions are true. And then he just, in the conversation, he said this. I'll never forget it. He said, listen, I can worship in a temple. He's Hindu. I could worship in a mosque. I could worship in a church. Then he said, I could worship this desk. He said, doesn't matter. He said, it would be inefficient for me to become a Christian to get to God. He said, the path that you're on is the shortest distance between you and God. And so to learn some other system to get to him doesn't matter. All religions are true. But that's not at all what the word of God teaches. God is very offended. He says here, if you worship an idol, yes, the idol doesn't exist. But Paul says, you're actually worshiping demons. You can't partake in fellowship with demons when you belong to Christ. Just another example from what we saw last time. Again, that occasion when the children of Israel made a golden calf and they worshiped that instead of the God who delivered them from Egypt, what did God say about that? Did God say, oh, well, that's fine. That's fine. You worship that golden calf because as long as you're sincere, I'm cool with that. I'll take that as worship to me. No, listen, they paid a dear price for sinning against God by worshiping something other than the God who is. We're just reminding ourselves, what, what is my aim in life? Listen, I want to live in faithfulness to Jesus above all. I want to be faithful to Jesus alone. I can't, I can't be inconsistent and worship or follow something other than him. Secondly, we're just talking about our aims in life. We are to live for the good of others. As believers, we're to live for the good of others, particularly other believers. Back into our text now, verses 23 and following. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. You might want to underline that. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you. And for conscience sake, I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We're going to come back to that. Verse 32, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Paul reminds us here very clearly that other people are to matter to us. Our aim in life is not merely, hey, what makes me happy? What are my opinions? What are my preferences? As long as those are met, met, that's all that I want. Here, Paul says you need to be considering the good of others. Verse 24 again, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. And here he gives those guidelines again about that very practical issue they were facing, meat that maybe had been sacrificed, idols, what to do. He says very clearly, verses 25 and 26, eat anything sold in the meat market. Don't ask any questions when you buy meat in the meat market. And, and here as New Testament believers, we do the same thing. When I go to Kroger to buy meat or Walmart to buy meat, I don't ask any questions. I mean, I want to know the date. It's not expired. But otherwise, I'm not asking, hey, tell me the journey of this beef or this pork or chicken from farm to this packaging. Tell me about it. Did anybody worship anything with it along the way? Don't ask those questions. It's just meat. 
In fact, Paul makes the point here. Listen, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Don't ask questions. Just, just eat it. God created that even before somebody might have misused it somehow. It's fine. Then Paul said, if you're invited into an unbeliever's home, go into that unbeliever's home. They're going to serve you a meal. Don't ask any questions about that meat. You just go ahead and eat it. It's just meat. God created that meat, even if they did some other sacrifice after. Don't ask questions. Just eat. However, did you notice, he said, but if you have a younger believer with you, a weaker brother or sister with you, they, they might ask the question, hey, what about this meat? And if that believer says, hey, was this sacrifice to idols? And your host says, yes, it was. Then he says, don't eat the meat then. Not for your conscience, because you already know it's, it's nothing, no problem. But for his conscience. Do you hear that other-centered approach here? If it could hurt my brother in Christ, if it could somehow disturb them to eat this, then understand that other brother is more important than steak. That other believer is more important than barbecue. Insert favorite meat here. The people, the brothers and sisters in Christ, mean more to us than that. We can't have the mindset, well, I was really counting on eating that. And it smells so good. And we've been sitting here for an hour smelling this food. And, like, you just get over it. I'm going to eat. Because you can't, you can't do that. We saw that earlier when Paul talked about this. Brings up again here. We are to live for the good of others. It shows up in all of our lives. Now, Paul anticipates a gripe coming from those that are strong on this issue. Verse 29, the, the, the gripe would be this. Well, why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? Like, I'm free to do this. Why am I having to be judged by them? Verse 30, if I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? Like, I was going to give thanks. Don't, don't bother me. Paul said, you, you have to consider the other brother. Paul's answer is, you're not just living for yourself anymore. Our rights... Our preferences are not more important than our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are to care deeply about anything that we might do that would discourage another brother or sister in Christ. So again, not an issue that you've been facing, meat sacrificed to idols. But let me ask you this. Are you making choices for yourself in your life that could discourage the faith of other believers? It may have nothing to do with food. But is there anything that you're doing, a preference that you have, a right that you feel like you have, a freedom you feel like you have that could be detrimental to other believers in your life. Here's a question. What are you modeling for other believers in your life? If they watch your life, are they drawing closer to Christ or are you discouraging their faith in Christ? Listen, we're just talking about our aims in life. Aim for this. Live in faithfulness to Christ alone. Live for the good of other believers. And then this, live for the glory of God. Live for the glory of God. Verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Hear how sweeping, how comprehensive that call is. Everything that you and I do should be with the aim that God would be glorified in it. Our goal cannot be our preferences, our comforts, our opinions. Not anymore now that we're in Christ. Notice how, how comprehensive. Do all. Absolutely everything in your life, do all to the glory of God. So as you apply this along with me, think comprehensively. Think exhaustively through your life. Totally, without exception, your whole life, every pursuit in your life aimed at the glory of God and for no other goal. Notice Paul did not say, do some things for the glory of God. I'd be more comfortable with that. 
do some things for the glory of God. And we could all set the bar really low, like, all right, I'm going to check it off. I came to worship. I did something for the glory of God. Now I've got the rest of the week to do my things. I don't even know, not even concerned whether those glorify God or not. But that's not what the scripture calls us to. Do all for the glory of God. We can say it this way. Everything in your life should be aligned with that, with that goal, that aim in your life. I want everything about me to bring glory to God. I don't want anything out of alignment. You ever been driving your car? and you feel a shimmy in your steering wheel, and that very well could be that your wheels are out of alignment. Now, I'm not a mechanic, so ask your mechanic rather than me. In fact, at 8 o'clock service, I gave that analogy, and I said, you know, so I, I just was playing with them, and they played with me afterwards. They came up and said, you know, it could be that your wheels are out of balance, not out of alignment. Somebody said, it could be your tie rod. So I thought, all right, there are a lot of things it could be. <laughs> but play along with me here, as, as they did at 8 o'clock. We had fun with that. But, but you know that feeling, like, this, something's not right here. I need these tires going in the same direction. Don't want to wear them out. Don't want to be unstable on the roads. And my car is usually when I'm going at a certain speed on the interstate where that's when I feel it. It's just not right. So in, in your life, just examine, do I have other purposes in my life besides the glory of God? Are there whole sections of my life that are really not pleasing to God? I'm actually in sin in areas. I'm out of alignment. I don't want that any longer. I'm going to take this opportunity for everything to be in his direction, that he might be praised, that he might be magnified, that he might be glorified. Here's a question. Why should we glorify God? Why not glorify other things? Because God alone is glorious. That's why we give him glory. There's no one greater than God. Consider all of his perfections, everything about God, all of his attributes, absolutely perfect. And we don't know anybody else like that. So some people act offended by this, that God's jealous. That offends some people because they misunderstand that. But also that God commands that we glorify him. Some people think, wow, that sounds like just a very needy deity there, that he needs compliments, that he needs words of affirmation. That's not what's happening here. God tells you to glorify him because he alone is worthy of that worship. It would be unloving of God to tell you, oh, don't give that all to me. You go chase other things. That would be to send us off to things that would never help us, never save us, never satisfy us. God's not needy at all. He doesn't need our compliments. That's not what this is about. We glorify God because, listen, it's simply ridiculous to glorify anything other than him. It would be idolatrous to glorify anything other than him. That's why it's right that we glorify him. Now, our culture tells us to glorify other things besides God, anything but God. Our culture tells us that we should be glorifying mere human beings. In fact, think about it with me. It is actually quite embarrassing when you think about it. Maybe you see a concert on television and the artist comes up on the stage and people start squealing and swooning and they're just shaking. You're like, that's just embarrassing. I mean, I get it, liking your favorite artist and cool to see him in person, but my goodness, the glory shouldn't go for human. That's just embarrassing. But typically for us in our sin nature, we're seeking not to glorify God. We really want a lot of that glory for ourselves. Want somebody to notice me, want somebody to praise me. We could even take it to another level where we get competitive. I don't just want to be noticed and praised, but I want to be considered the best. I want people to think I'm better than those people. That's not what we're to live for. We're to live for the glory of God alone. That's what success is. Even if my life doesn't look like a success, as long as I've been aiming at the glory of God and, and pointing people to him, then there is mission accomplished. That's the aim in life. So not seeking our own glory, our fame, that's the old way of life. Not even seeking our own comfort or our happiness, 
the glory of God. So give God glory in all that you do. Seek to please Him as the ultimate aim of your life. Seek to bring Him joy and delight. Seek to build up others and encourage other people's faith in Him. Point all people to His goodness and greatness. And invite other people to join you in enjoying and praising Him. Have you noticed that in your life? When you really enjoy something, you want to invite people into that enjoyment. Your, your enjoyment takes on another level when other people see what you see in something you enjoy. C.S. Lewis wrote about that. He said this, he said, The most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, or of giving honor. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows in the praise unless shyness or the fear of boring others is deliberately brought in to check it. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, the praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians or scholars. Lewis continues, I had not noticed how the humblest and at the same time most balanced minds praised most while the cranks, misfits, and malcontents praised least. I had not noticed either that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? He says the psalmists, in telling everyone to praise God, are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. He goes on to say, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not only expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It's its appointed consummation. Have you noticed that? You enjoy something in life and you reflexively want somebody else to see what you just saw. It can be in seeing something funny. You look around for somebody to share in that funny thing with you. I don't want to just enjoy it myself. I did, but it's just better if you enjoy it with me. You might eat out at a nice restaurant and man, that was good. And you want to tell somebody you find greater enjoyment in getting other people to see what you now see. And so it is with the Lord. We, we give him praise because he's worthy of praise. But we get something out of it as we share his, his praise. And do you see how awesome he is? And it's frustrating at times when you're sharing with people. They don't seem to get what I get. But that's, you're wanting to share because we're commanded to share. God loves those people. But, oh, our joy is enhanced. Paul had this goal. Philippians 1.20, he says, As is my eager expectation that Christ will be honored that's the same thing as glorified, that Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Don't you love that? Everything for the glory of God. Everything for the honor of God. Paul's able to say, even if my death would bring him glory, okay. If my life will bring him glory, okay, because to live is Christ, to die is gain. So is your life aimed at the glory of God. Are your actions, is your speech, are these things pointing people toward more of Jesus? Or are you pointing away from Jesus with the way you live and talk? Are you promoting joy being found in the Lord? Are you distracting people away from what they would experience if they knew the glory of God? So today, would you devote yourself 
to the glory of God? Today, would you devote yourself to the good of others in your life, sharing the gospel with those who don't know him yet, building up in faith those among God's people? In fact, let's just hear these verses, these final verses one more time, kind of as a spiritual barrage. Let's hear them together again before we close. Verse 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Then he says this, chapter 11, verse 1, it goes with this. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So today, determine to live in faithfulness to Christ alone. Live for the good of the other saints. Live that unbelievers might come to know Jesus. Let everything you do be done for the glory of God. Let's pray together. Lord, would you realign all of us that that would be our chief pursuit where we understand that will be our chief joy to enjoy you, to magnify you. Lord, you are worthy of this praise and you are worthy of this devotion and we, we bring it to you. Lord, I thank you for those watching the live stream. I thank you for those in the room. Lord, would you draw us all to you? I pray for those who are hearing about you and your goodness and understanding that for the first time. I pray for those who've heard about your cross today and resurrection and realize they need you. Lord, would you draw them all the way into your family? Lord, would you awaken faith in them that they would repent and believe in you and you alone? Then Lord, for, for your children here that many of us walk with you for many, many years now, Lord, thank you for this time to recalibrate and to lay aside the things that don't glorify you and to point at your glory and the good of others. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.